0: Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 11. Thank you for your continued support here to PLC and your giving, faithful giving. Please uh, continue. You can do so by uh, dropping your offering off at the plate here this morning. And uh, there's also ways to give online. You can find that out on our bulletin or on our website at our church. And uh, we thank you for supporting. Also, just want to ask you to keep uh, the Levitt family in your prayers uh, this week and um, Steph's grandfather passed away on Saturday afternoon, and so um, the sun has set on our beloved great gramps. Gramps, and so we're asking you to pray for the family as they uh, go through grieving, mourning, and uh, all the things to come. So just pray for them, if you will. John Levitt and family, praise God. Matthew chapter nine, verse eleven. When the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance." Would you pray with me and ask God to help us understand his word this morning? Thank you, Jesus. We worship you today. We pray, Father, for your word to be alive in our hearts and our minds this morning, that you would open our eyes to help us understand what you have to say, that you change, challenge and transform us by your word. In Jesus' name, have your way in our lives. Touch and speak to us this morning. Let your will be done in this service, God. Let there be a moving of your spirit. Let the teaching of your word create ground for us to to foster and receive what you have to say, and let it grow and produce fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you for standing and worshiping with us this morning. Jesus was accosted, attacked, challenged, uh, confronted by many people in his ministry, but no not, not so much as he was attacked and, and questioned and drilled by the Jewish leaders of, uh, of Israel. And these men were called Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, the Levites, those who would study and, and uh, you know uphold and maintain the laws of God. They were the priests in the tabernacle. They were the ones who held the law. They, they, they governed in the synagogues and um, to just understand what this was. These were the, the spiritual leaders of the nation. These were the men who spent their days studying the laws of God, remembering and memorizing the Torah, the Word of God, and, and uh, communicating. They would preach. They would. It, it was an uncommon for a Pharisee to stand on a street corner and publicly read the Word of God or preach or uh, a minister in some way that, that he was able to and um, definitely in the synagogues, there was the reading of Scripture. There was the reading of the Torah. They would select a passage, and they would just simply read it. On on Sabbath days. And, And these special individuals who you think would recognize what Jesus was saying, what Jesus was doing, and they would gravitate towards him. These were the spiritual ones. These were the ones who had understanding for the word of God. They had understanding for what God was doing. Yet, they were the ones who frequently challenged and and pressed Jesus. And in this case, they see Jesus eating with a group of what the Bible calls publicans and sinners. And instead of, you know, they're kind of sneaky and conniving in their way, they don't go directly to Jesus and take it up with him. They, They go to his disciples. They go kind of not really there to inquire to, hey, this is new. What's going on here? Hey, You know, explain to us what is this? Have we missed something in Torah? Have we missed something in the Word of God? Would you enlighten us? Would you help us to see it? No, they they go to Jesus' disciples, kind of in a sideways criticism, and and ask his disciples, Why does your master eat with publicans and sinners? And Jesus hears this question, and uh, to understand the culture here. We have to understand that that uh, honor shame culture. And so to question someone publicly, not to their face, but around side them to maybe their followers or their family members was a way of public criticism. It was a way to to uh, malign their name publicly and, and bring an accusation against them and make them look bad. And so Jesus hears them. And so instead of Addressing his disciples, Jesus addresses the Pharisees right away, and he says this statement: "Those that be whole, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick." The Pharisees were kind of inferring that Jesus was tainted by those who he ate with. He was eating with publicans and sinners, and uh, let's let's define that a publican was a tax collector. They were someone that worked for the Roman government. The Romans were famous for their high taxes. And so this, you know, you understand it'd be like you living, uh, us as Canadians, living here in Ajax, uh, going to work back and forth, and all of a sudden a new nation comes, uh, takes over our government, and imposes a higher tax gets rid of our, our uh, health benefits, you know, takes away freedoms that we've enjoyed. And all of a sudden now we who were living a certain way are now forced to live under a new ruler, a new authority that isn't a good one. And so uh, we would kind of, you know, rebel against that. We wouldn't be very happy with that. And you can imagine the Jews being very unhappy with their oppression by the Romans and. And, and, and the worst part about it was that someone who was, who was perhaps math minded, the Romans might have picked them out and, and found them and said, so, you know what, we're going we're gonna to hire you and we're going to pay you really well to collect the taxes. And, and so there were Jews who decided, you know what, uh, I can either complain or I can make a little money off of this pretty bad situation. I could look after me and mine. And become a tax collector. And uh, tax collectors were usually the, the, the scum on the bottom of the Jews' feet. It wasn't uncommon for a tax collector to walk through a market area and for people to spit at their feet. Because they were, the, you have to understand, the honor-shame culture, this is the highest betrayal. For this, this family unit oriented culture and society. For someone to... Collect taxes for the enemy. And then, and then if the tax collector was ex- especially shrewd and, and uh, uh, cunning, he would raise the tax just a little bit, a percentage, and take a cut from his collection as, you know, payment for his services that he was providing the community. And so you can understand, he, they weren't the most popular individuals. They weren't the most popular people and uh, often they became friends with other outcasts social outcasts and people who perhaps out of desperation did things that were illegal or wrong or considered sinful in order to survive and and the Pharisees see Jesus eating with these people and you say well that's not you know i mean that's a little strange but what's the big deal jesus is just having a meal with them what's what's why is that so wrong what what, what's so terrible about that? But again, it comes with understanding the honor-shame culture. And meals are highly important to the social structure of that, that culture and society. To have a meal with someone is to make a covenant with them. It's to build a relationship. It builds relational equity. And, and uh, the more time you spend with them over a meal is not time wasted. You know, we might say... If, if someone lingers too long at a coffee shop with a friend that maybe they're being a little irresponsible, don't they have anything else to do today? But that is the very opposite mindset and mind frame in the honor-shame culture. The longer you stay, even to the you know, detriment of your own to-do list, because your, your, your social equity, the, the relational equity you have with others is more important than the things that you need to do. It's of the highest value. The highest importance until to, to sit down at a meal with someone was was especially significant. It wasn't just a, a, a passing thing. Now, what the Pharisees probably expected Jesus to do was spend time eating with them. Because you also understand that there's a social hierarchy going on here, right? Pharisees looked at themselves, the priests looked at themselves as the spiritually elite, They were the top of the food chain, spiritually speaking. They were, after all, the the tribe in Israel. Israel is divided by 12 family tribes. And the, the priests were the tribe chosen by God to represent the whole nation before God. So they were extra special. Israel was chosen, but the Levites were extra chosen. This was their perspective. The, the, the rest of Israel was special, but the Levites were extra special. They, after all, were the only ones allowed to go into the holy place. And, and the high priest is the only one allowed to go into the holiest of holies where the common Jew, Israelite, could not enter. There was a barrier. The priests were allowed to go. So they were naturally thought they were a little bit more special than the rest. Pharisees often ate with other Pharisees and 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 uh, they often ate with the the high ups the 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 level ups in the society maybe the politicians within the groups the the ones that that govern the marketplace the wealthy they would they would cater to them have meals with them and because they were after all the elite so here comes Jesus it would just make sense for Jesus to try to enter this elitist community. If Jesus, after all, is a teacher talking about God, a a rabbi talking about the things of God and, 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 and following the ways of God and trying to lead people closer to God, it would make natural human sense for Jesus to align himself with a famous Jewish teacher. It would make sense for Jesus to to have a meal with one of these men in an an attempt to build relationship equity with the priests so that Jesus could advance his ministry, right? It would make sense for Jesus to climb the spiritual corporate ladder, so to speak, by, by networking with the right people in the right ways over the right meals, yet Jesus is not networking with Pharisees. He's networking with tax collectors and sinners. He's not relationally binding himself to the elite. He's going to the fishermen. He's going to the tax collector. He's going to, uh, you know, for, former zealots, uh, a special sect of of Jews that, that were kind of military-minded and, and, and trained and fought and tried to overthrow the Romans by force and these were also considered extremes. They were, they were an extreme good. Jesus aligns himself with it seems to be the bottom of the barrel by all standards of society. So Jesus is eating with the publican, with the sinner, with the tax collector, and the, the Pharisees in a public way criticize Jesus and say, why is Jesus eating with these people? Why isn't he trying to eat with us? is the inferred question why why isn't Jesus trying to get in a meal with our our group why isn't Jesus trying to elevate himself and and at least have a meal with someone who is not a sinner because if these people have have done this they need to you know repent and live a life of you know abstinence from the rest of the community for a while and pay for their sins after all what they have done and they're publicly shamed us, so now we are going to reject them. And so they, they, Jesus, you just can't go and eat with a sinner. You just can't go and eat with an, a, a social outcast. You can't just have a covenant-making meal with someone who has betrayed the society and betrayed the people. Jesus ate with them for one purpose. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, the healthy people don't need a doctor. The reason I'm eating with the publican and the sinner is because the healthy people don't need the doctor, but the sick people do. See, the people that regarded themselves as healthy don't really seek the don't, don't make an appointment with their doctor or their physician. If you feel good, you're not calling up your medical clinic saying, hey, I'd like to schedule an appointment just to catch up and see how, how, how things are going. You know, it's the accused that seeks the aid of a lawyer. It's the lost that seeks the aid of a savior or for someone to find him. It's those who are lost that light flares and, and create circles on the ground for, for, for helicopters to spot them. It's it's the drowning that seek the aid of the lifeguard. It's the student that's failing that seeks the extra time with the teacher. It's, it's, the, it's the person who's in need that goes out looking for the one who can meet their need. And Jesus simply said to the Pharisees, You know what, guys? The reason I'm not eating with you is because you regard yourself as healthy. And so you don't ever come with an attitude or an open hand to say, I need help. You can almost see what Jesus was saying in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You can almost understand this. This is a picture example of what Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit because theirs is the kingdom of God. And, and blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, for they shall be filled. In essence, what Jesus was was kind of back hitting the Pharisees with, he's saying, you guys think you're healthy. You guys think you're, you're, you're legally sound. You think you are safe. You think you aren't drowning. You don't consider yourself in need, so you never come to me with an openness to receive. So the reason I don't waste my time eating with you is because you already think you're healthy. You think you're holy. You don't need God. You think you're healthy. You don't need healing. You, you think you're, you're saved, so you don't, you don't consider the fact that you might actually be lost. Jesus had other words to say to the Pharisees later in his ministry in Matthew 23. Jesus said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people people you have the trappings of someone who is all put together you have the right clothes on you have the right look you do the right the right prayers and say the right the right things, you you act the right way, you quote the right Bible verses, and you know exactly where to find a reference when you need to. You you look outwardly righteous, but on the inside your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. You don't obey the law within the heart. You find ways to to satisfy your lust and your desires on the inside, but outside things are kept at a very pristine and holy position. Jesus was not only covertly rebuking their attitude, he was also declaring himself to be the answer to the brokenness that these people had. In essence, it's almost another backhanded remark to say, you know, it's interesting that you guys are not eating with the ones who need to have that kind of closeness and fellowship. Uh, isn't it right that the priests represent the people to God? Isn't it the case that the priest is the one who knows the laws of God and knows the word of God? Shouldn't the priest make some kind of effort to rescue, to reach out, to minister to? Isn't there something in you that says, well, I see someone who's sick. I'm going to help them get better. And so Jesus, instead of outlining all of that for them, simply gives them a homework assignment. Again, you have to get the irony of this situation. Jesus is not of the tribe of Levi. Jesus is not a priest. He wasn't trained as a priest. He wasn't raised in a priest's home. He didn't have the responsibilities or the privileges of going into the holy place and ministering before the presence of God. Jesus didn't have any of that. But but he says to the priest, go and learn What this means. Go back to your Bible. Read it again. And learn. Study this passage out. Jesus tells the Pharisee. This would have been the, the uh, maybe they would have felt like Jesus was being in, extremely arrogant. Who is Jesus to tell us to go and learn what the Word says? Well, the only way Jesus had the authority to tell them to go and learn what the Word was saying was because he was the one who spoke the Word in the first place. That's why Jesus had the authority. And so he could look at these who studied the Word and says, go back and read what I said back in Hosea chapter 6. Jesus said to the the Pharisees, he says, Go and learn what this means. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. I will have mercy, not sacrifice. We find this kind of statement made for the first time from the prophet Samuel to King Saul. King Saul was, was, uh, you know... kind of going through a rough place. This was right before he was denied the kingship and he was beginning to turn. And Samuel didn't show up at the right time, according to Saul, to offer the sacrifice before the Lord. So Saul went ahead and offered the sacrifice without Samuel. This was a a taboo thing to do. He wasn't allowed. He didn't have the authority. He didn't have the right to go ahead and offer this particular sacrifice unto the Lord without the prophet of God there. And so when Samuel arrived, Saul said, well, well, Samuel, you know, we offered sacrifice unto the Lord. We, we did, you know, these things. And not only that, but Saul didn't fully obey God in his commands. He didn't fully carry out the, the, the plan that God had laid out for him to do that particular in that particular battle against the, the Ammonites. And so Saul comes up and says, you know, Samuel, we've offered sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel looks at Saul and says, Saul, God wants obedience rather than sacrifice. Later on, this This phrase, this idea would be repeated by different prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and finally Hosea. Hosea was a prophet of God in the Old Testament, and he was a prophet to the nation of Israel. Without going into a lot of historical detail, the nation of Israel had had basically split. They had divided along two borderlines. One was the tribe of Judah. That lived predominantly in the southern parts of Israel, where Jerusalem is located. And Judah, by the way, is the tribe in which David comes from. David was the king, and David's son Solomon had set up the kingdom with beauty and, and majesty. And but Solomon's kingdom was corrupted near the end. And Solomon's son was uh, even worse than Solomon was. Solomon had begun to worship false gods. He had begun to bring in false gods with the the many wives that Scripture tells us somewhere between six and 700 wives plus concubines from different nations. And Solomon really had fallen away from God and his worship of God. And and by the end of Solomon's reign, God said, I'm going to divide the kingdom. The kingdom isn't going to stay together anymore. I'm not going to let this kingdom continue. It's going to have to be divided and conquered because of its re- refusal to repent and turn to God. And so Israel divides and and uh, 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 11 tribes go to the north with Israel and Judah stays towards the south. And so these, these uh, tribes divide and split and two kingdoms arose and You know, they sometimes got along and sometimes they fought and they had two separate kings. And so now there becomes a divide in the Old Testament between Israel and Judah. In fact, when you get into the the books of the New Testament, you read of a place called Judea. Judea is the old Judah. It became Judea later on. And so now it becomes a Roman province. Rome kind of recognized the division and kind of followed those same borders, so to speak. But all of that to say, Hosea was a prophet to the nation of Israel. Judah is separate from Israel. There's two now two nations of God's people, Judah and Israel, and, and uh, Israel was particularly wicked, far worse than Judah ever was. And if you look at the trajectory, both nations were pretty bad. But Judah had better kings than Israel. Israel had worse kings. You may recognize some names like Ahab and Jezebel. They were kings of Israel. And they were pretty bad. They were pretty wicked you might recognize uh, some of the names uh, of of the southern kingdom of Judah. And we won't go through all of that. But in essence, there were better kings in Judah and there were worse kings in Israel. So Israel typically had more prophets. Elisha, Hosea, um, uh, Isaiah was a prophet to Judah. But oftentimes, Jeremiah, different men, were prophets to Israel. Israel had more prophets because they had worse kings. Judah had better kings, so less prophets came their way. Just the trajectory of how it went. So Hosea is now talking to Israel. And he says to them, go and learn what this means. Go, go and study this out. Jesus said, go, Pharisees, and study what Hosea said in Hosea 6. And the, the, the scripture goes like this, Hosea 6 and 6. For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God... More than burnt offerings. Hosea was, was a prophet that God had used. And Hosea had gotten married to a woman by the name of Gomer. And partway through their marriage, they had children. And shortly after that, Gomer decides to leave Hosea. And she becomes a prostitute on the streets. She leaves him. And not only leaves him for another man, but for a host of men. She lives a very loose and, and tumultuous lifestyle, if you will. And God says to Hosea, you know, you have the right to divorce her for what she's done, but I want you to go and rescue her. I want you to go and rescue Gomer. And there's this beautiful story of Hosea going and finding Gomer in the streets, suffering the effects of her choices living homeless and and in a terrible way. And Gomer is rescued by Hosea and brought back to uh, Hosea's house. And Hosea restores her and remarries her. And there's this story of redemption through Hosea's life. And God says, just this way, I want your life to be a picture of what I'm going to do for my nation. My nation has left me. They have forsaken me and they've worshipped multiple gods. And now they're left destitute and without hope and without life. And now I'm coming back. I will restore. I was angry. I was frustrated. I was upset with Israel's choice. But I will return to Israel and I will restore her and heal her of her brokenness. Hosea then goes on to to describe Israel like a wayward son, much like the prodigal in the, in the, in the parable of Jesus, the son who, who makes his father angry and, and disgraces his father's house and leaves and, and, and falls into great wickedness and is destroyed. But the father who was angry was angry for a time, but then reaches out to restore his rebellious and wayward son. God speaks to the nation of Israel and says, you you, you come to me and you offer your sacrifices, but then you turn around in the same temple and worship the false god, Baal. And so he says in Hosea 6, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You need to understand that I, I don't just want you to go through the trappings of saying the right things and offering the right sacrifice, but I want actual fruit produced in your life. God's God desired a private devotion over public Worship. Well, see, they had many sacrifices they offered. There was the trespass sacrifice. There was the sin sacrifice. There was the peace offering that they gave unto God, a meal where they actually shared it with the Lord in the temple. There was the grain offering and the burnt offering. And then there was all the feasts. There was uh, a number of different feasts throughout the year that they would celebrate the things of God and worship and celebrate. And some of them would be week-long celebrations of God's goodness, God's faithfulness and they would pray and have all these offerings and special days and and God was saying all of these things I'm not really interested in. I'm not really interested in the fat of the ram. I'm not really interested in the things that you do. I'm not really interested in the offerings you give publicly. I really, really, really want all of that public worship to be married to a private devotion life. Isaiah 1 and 11, God says, What makes you think I want all your sacrifices? The Lord even said to them, I'm sick of your burnt offerings. I'm sick of the rams and the fat of the fatted cattle. I get no pleasure from the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. All of the things that you do publicly to worship me, I'm getting kind of sick and tired of it. It'd be like God interrupting our song service this morning and say, okay, cut. It was nice, but I'm kind of getting sick and tired of your singing. Your, your song is irritating me. It's, it's not the song. It's the fact that you think that it's a. all you need is the public display of worship. What I really want is for that public worship to seep into the private corridors yes. of your heart. He said in verse 16 of Isaiah chapter 1, wash yourselves and be clean. Get sins out of your sight. Clean up your evil ways. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Help the oppressed. Defend the cause of orphans and fight for the rights of widows. What Jesus was telling the Pharisees to do is go back and rediscover the purpose of all of the public worship was to point to mercy, love, And the work of God in the private quarters of your life. Who are you when nobody else is watching? How do you treat those who are on the outside? Are you too holy to fellowship with someone who's maybe an outcast or estranged from society? Do you keep up appearances to let nobody else know that you're struggling? And never reach out for help. Jesus said it's the healthy that don't ever reach out to the doctor for help. It's those who aren't being accused that never go to the office of a lawyer and say, will you make my case for me. Will you help me with this situation? But Jesus said it's, it's those who are humble and, and, and surrendered and, and in a desperate place that reach out for help. Uh, and it's those who are merciful and loving and carry that same lifestyle with them outside of church uh, that are those that I frequent with and I fellowship with. It's, it's those who have mercy. Blessed are the merciful, Jesus said. For they shall obtain mercy. I, I, I kind of cringe when church people talk about the world and sinners out there. As if they've forgotten. As if they've forgotten that just maybe an hour or two before they had to repent for a sin they committed. Got to be careful we don't label the world as sinners be careful when you talk about how bad the world is getting I know it's bad I, I I realize they're calling good evil and evil good but what else do you expect from those who don't know well, what what do you expect do you expect people that don't know God to value his way of living or thinking do you expect the world to to Uphold some kind of righteous lifestyle, and and it kind of frustrates me when I I see it on on social media, people complaining about the school system or complaining about this and that, and and I understand, you know, I think there's there's an element of, uh, you know. Putting your rights out there as a Christian and putting, see, so you know what, it's fine that the school wants to do this. We're going to do this instead and our family is going to do I think you should fight for that and that you should be treated fairly along with everybody else in that school system. We have religious liberty and freedom in Canada. Thank God for that. And and I think you should make use of your li- religious freedom and liberty. But But please don't get on the spiritual high horse that looks out at the world and says, those sinners out there, those people out there, because an accurate representation would be, I am just as sinful. I am just as prone. I don't want to don the Pharisee's hat or put on the Pharisee's prayer shawl that has the long uh, the long ribbons out on the side and the tassels that make me look extra holy. I think I should look holy and dress holy and talk holy and act holy, but not out of an, an attempt to show up those who don't and, and look down my nose at people who don't live according. According to the ways that I've found that God wants me to live. I need to have mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. God says, I want you to have mercy, not sacrifice. I, I, I'd rather you show mercy to 10 different people on the road or even in your home or in your family. I'd rather you err on the side of mercy uh, with those that you interact with and those that you speak to and those that you talk to than for you to come in and offer a thousand hallelujahs on a Sunday morning. It's great that you're here. I'm so glad you are. I'm so glad you worshiped this morning and I'm so glad that you reached out and, and praised the Lord here this morning. But God wants more than just your public display of worship. He wants you to live a lifestyle of mercy. One that reaches out to those who are hurting. One that reaches out to those who are weary. One that does not look down your nose at the sinner, so to speak, but put yourself in the same boat uh, that if it wasn't for the Lord, I would be in the same place this morning. I would be in the same place. My wife and I were talking. Just recently about someone we know who's really struggling. They're really going through it. And we were, we were just kind of sharing about it. And I said, you know, I, I really identify with where they're at. Because if it wasn't for God stepping in here in my life and there in my life, I, I really could see myself in the same place that they're in, and my heart goes out to them. What, 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 That's how we ought to be talking about people that we know. If, if you see someone struggling, don't look down on them because of their struggle, even if their struggle is bitterness and unforgiveness and, 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 and sarcasm and, and harsh words. It's, even if it hurts to be around that individual, look at them through the eyes of mercy. If it wasn't for the Lord in your life, maybe you... Would be on that same corner of the street that they're on today. Go and learn what this means, Jesus said. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I desire mercy. I want, God says, I want you to know me more than offer burnt offerings. I, not that I want you to stop worshiping. I don't want you to stop worshiping publicly. I don't want you to stop coming to church as part of your devotion to God. But marry your devotion to God with a lifestyle of mercy and kindness and love. 1 John 4:20 If a man say, "I love God, but hateth his brother," he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he has not seen? And we stand this morning. Jesus is big on mercy. Jesus is big on mercy. The woman caught in the act of adultery, brought before Jesus by the same group of men that, that accused him for eating with the wrong crowd, throws the woman down at his feet and says lord she's caught in the act of adultery kind of kind of odd how they would catch her in the act of adultery but only she was brought to jesus where was the man i mean if you're caught in the act it's you don't act by yourself there was someone else in the picture their attempt to trap him and use this poor, unfortunate girl and her her bad choices as the bait to catch him. And Jesus simply says, he that is without sin, cast the first stone. And you can see, most likely was the older men who dropped the stones first and the younger men who hung around trying to think, well, maybe I'm not that bad but eventually all leaves. And the only one who had the right to throw the stone, Jesus, didn't throw the stone at her. He said, go and sin no more. You've been given mercy, so go give mercy to somebody else. Can we just worship the Lord and ask him to help us this morning? Would you talk to the Lord? He desires mercy. He desires mercy to be the the steady point in our life, devotion that that is real, not just perceived, not just an outward demonstration of worship, but real, real worship that comes from our choices, from our actions. Who are we? Who are we when we leave this place? Who are we when we go home? Who are we in the privacy of our house? Are we merciful? Are we kind? Are we we long-suffering? Do we have The work of the Spirit in our lives. I want to be what you call me to.